Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in two locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. Hey, good morning, party people. Thanks for crashing the party today. My name's Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here kicking off a brand new teaching series. I'm looking forward to uh, starting the book of Haggai. Don't even pretend like you know where that is, okay? I didn't even know where that was, and I'm preaching a message. So go ahead and like start trying to find it. It's in the Old Testament somewhere. Pull it up on your phone. Uh, you can uh, just search it, the name of it, H-A-G-G-A-I, and uh, I'll give you a few minutes to get there. But I want to tell you guys about a a parenting style that I've utilized lately um, that is really good. If you're a grandparent or a parent, I'm going to share it with you so you can capitalize on it. I call it creative bargaining, okay? Now, when I describe it, you may say, that's bribing. You're wrong. It's creative bargaining. Uh, Let me show you how it plays out. I've got a daughter that's in uh, kindergarten. She started kindergarten this year, and uh, kindergarten is, is not really about testing or grades, uh, like the success in kindergarten, a lot of it is based on behavior, uh, right? And so we have this behavior grading system in my little girl's kindergarten class that's based on the stoplight, okay? The goal is to come home on green. Every day we want to come home on green. If you come home on yellow, that means you talked a little bit too much or you got out of your seed or did something wrong. If you come home on red, that's just bad day. Like you, you, you set the whole classroom on fire. You did something that's bad. You don't ever want to come home on red. So you want to come home on green. So my wife and I, through a, a system of creative bargaining with my younger daughter, said this, if you come home on green every day for the whole week, then on Friday, we will take you to go get some ice cream, okay? Or cookies or whatever sweet thing that you want to go get. We will do that. But you got to come home on green every single day. And much to my surprise, we have come home on green 10 days out of the first 10 days. Yeah, that's approximately eight days longer than I thought we would last (laughs) on the grading system with Lydia. But it's so funny, when she gets in the car, I get to pick her up from school, when she gets in the car, that's the first thing she tells me, all right, Lydia, how was your day? I came home on green today. She remembers it, very first thing, creative bargaining is working. What is equally impressive to her remembering that are the things that she chooses not to remember uh, as a small child. Um, Here's the opposite. Another thing that we're doing with our kids now is we're giving them chores, give them some money at the end of the week to do these chores, teach them uh, money management, uh, how to save money, how to spend money, and how to give God money um, and honor God with what you make. And so give them some money, and they, so they have these list of chores. And so one of the things I'm trying to do with Lydia is we're trying to get her to clean up her room, right? So I will tell her, Elizabeth will tell her, go and clean up your room. So she will go upstairs, say, yes, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, and excited about getting some money for chores. And uh, so we'll go up there in 10 minutes, and um, she is actually in the middle of her floor in her room. Uh, she has pulled out more toys in those last 10 minutes, and she is playing in the middle. Like It's, it's worse Ten minutes later, after I asked her to clean it up, than it was when I originally asked her to clean it up. And so I'll walk up there and I'll say, Lydia, are you cleaning up your room? And she said, oh, I was, I was playing. I forgot. I forgot you told me that. I, didn't, I forgot. I said, all right, Lydia, clean up your room, okay? I'm going to come back and check on you a minute. I walk back downstairs. Ten minutes later, I come upstairs, walk into a room. There's nobody in there. 
I go to her sister's room, and she and Leah are in her sister's room watching a movie. I'm like, Lydia, are you going to clean your room up? Are you cleaning your room up? Oh, you meant now. You meant today. Right now? I was going to do it later. Come on, come on, you sinner. You know I was talking about now. You know I was talking about now. You clean your room up right now, right now. And she said, okay. And then she walks back in there, and I will come later on that night. It's, it's time to get in a tubby. And so I walk upstairs. I'm like, all right, all right, Lydia, it's time to get in a tubby. Let's get in a tubby. Have you cleaned your room up? And she's laying in the middle of the floor, completely overwhelmed at the, the state of her room, talking about how she has no energy now, her legs don't work, my arms don't work, I need to skip the tubby tonight, I need to go straight to bed, I, there's no way I can clean my room. Like She can't remember that, so she'll say, I forgot, I didn't remember, I didn't know you were talking about right now, can I do it later, I forgot. Like It's, it's just a vicious cycle of what she remembers versus what she doesn't remember. And this pattern is a, is a perfect picture, I think, of the Old Testament. Because here's what happens throughout the Old Testament. It happens over and over and over, almost in every book. God would instruct his people, the Israelites, he would tell them what to do, to be obedient, to live a life that honored God, give them specific instructions. And so the people would say, got it, we'll do. For a little while, they would obey. But eventually they would forget or they would move on or they would do something else. And God would come back and say, did you, did you do what I asked you to do? Are you living the life that I called you to do? And they'd be like, no, we forgot or we didn't or we didn't listen or can we do it later? Or I thought you were talking to somebody else, giving all kinds of excuses. So here's what God did. God would send prophets. These are pastors, preachers, to come with a specific message to the people. And if you look up through the Old Testament, a lot of the books are the stories of these prophets. The people would disobey God and walk in the other direction. God would send somebody up the stairs, just like I go up the stairs, to remind Lydia of what I asked her to do. God would send a prophet to remind the people what they were called to do. And, and they would preach this message, a specific message to God's people, to help them to figure out what God's called them to do. The people would repent. The people would say, I'm sorry, now I remember. They would turn back to God, go for a little while following God, but then... As soon as God walks back down the stairs, like they pull all the toys back out and start doing exactly what they want to do. That's the pattern of the Old Testament that we, that we find so many times with God's people. And, and so the, the, the story of Haggai is where we're going to be at for the next few weeks. Um, don't even act like you know where that is. Like, just turn to the table of contents. I didn't even know where it was. Just turn to the table of contents, look up the book of Haggai, or Haggai look it up on your phone, and you can turn straight to it. Um, God's people are living in disobedience. They're not doing what God called them to do. So God sends this guy named Haggai, this preacher, with a very specific message to tell the people. And here's, here's how the story plays out. Uh, Haggai 1 Chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. If you got kids, planning on having kids, there's some really solid male names in there. You can pick those. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild 
the Lord's house. Here's the context for our story today. Um, the temple in this particular city was destroyed. Now, the temple was the church. It was God's house. God says the, the Lord's house has been destroyed, the Lord's house. No one is interested in building the Lord's house. This church, this temple that was originally built by Solomon, was destroyed by the Babylonian army. These are enemies of God, so they came in and they sacked the whole city. They destroyed God's uh, people's houses like the Israelites, their, their homes, their families, destroyed everything. And on the way out the door, they destroyed the temple as well, this church that was really their spiritual identity. And so uh, after this had happened, the Israelites come back in and they start to rebuild the city. They start to rebuild every aspect, all the parks and all the, the buildings and the homes and everything about it, the Walmarts, everything about the city, the marketplaces, they start to rebuild except for one thing. They spent a ton of time and energy and effort and resources and money to rebuild all of the things in the city. But all of a sudden, God looks down and says, almost everything is rebuilt except for one thing, God's house. The church is not rebuilt. Now, the church that he's talking about here is different than like the church that we think about today because if this building were destroyed, then we could go meet somewhere else. It's no big deal. We could rent a place or find a new place or build a new place. It's, it's no big deal. So God is not talking about, hey, this building is in disrepair because the temple in the Old Testament was actually where God's presence dwelled. There was no Holy Spirit that lives in all of the lives of the believers. Like God's presence, the very presence of God inhabited the building of the temple. And so as long as the building was in shambles, God's presence was away from God's people. And the crazy thing about it is God's people didn't even seem to care. Because they built all the other things in the city and rebuilt everything that had been destroyed except for the temple. And there's one big reason, like one, one obvious reason. It's not a spiritual reason. Like it's, it's the same reason that you and I choose not to do things today. The reason why they didn't rebuild the temple was simple. It was going to take some work. It's going to take some money. Like I'm busy with my life right now. Like I'm trying to rebuild my house. I'm trying to rebuild my life. I'm trying to do my thing. I got a busy schedule, man. If I, if I choose to rebuild the church, it's going to take time. It's going to take money, it's going to take resources, it's going to take a big group coming together and getting some work done. Like, that's, let's just be honest, that's hard. Like, I don't want to sacrifice for that. Like, that, that's, that sounds right there, that sounds like a lot of, of hard work. So they rebuilt everything except for the temple. There's, there's one big idea from this text that we're going to look at today that I want you to get that they illustrate really clearly through this one huge problem that was going on in this story and is also going on in the, the cities in our country and in the, the hearts of God's people today, and it's this, priorities. This book is all about priorities. It's all about what really matters the most. So they were answering a question, and you and I, whether you know it or not, you and I are answering this same question today. Who is number one in your life? What matters the most. What or who is most important in your life? That is going to determine what your priorities are. All the answers to those questions point out, and it's really clear what you communicate to other people, what matters the most to you. What are your top priorities? And the first lesson that we learned from this text about priorities is this. we got to get this because we usually think in the total opposite direction. We, we have convinced ourselves that this statement is not true. The first lesson to learn from this text about priorities is this. Sometimes the right thing is the hard thing. 
They knew the right thing. They knew that they should rebuild the temple. They knew that they should work on that. They knew they should put the effort. Sometimes the right thing is the hard thing. Now, we've conditioned ourselves to the total opposite. Like if we had to choose between two things, we're going to choose the easiest thing. We're going to choose the cheapest way. We're going to choose the way of least resistance, right? I, I mean, I don't want to put any effort. Like, just the, the bare minimum that I can do, that's what I'm going to choose to do in almost everything. If we look at something that's hard, we've conditioned ourselves, like, don't do that. Why would you want to do something hard when you can do something easy? Like, why would you want to sacrifice when you can keep stuff? Why would you want to focus on other people when you could focus on yourself? And that's the same thing that happened with these people. They knew that it was going to be hard. And so they said, you know what, I don't think we're going to do it. But even though it was the hard thing to do, it was the right thing to do. What are some things in your life that God has called you to do that you know are the right things to do? But since they're hard, you haven't done them. You've either refused to do them or, or maybe you started to do them one time, but then it got really hard, so then you stopped, then it's kind of like halfway completed, kind of like this temple was, and it's like halfway up off the ground. It's not totally destroyed, but it's like, it's, it's bad. You can't get in there. But, but they started it, but then they stopped because it got hard, and this is the right thing to do. There are things that we are clear on that God has called us to that are the right things to do. Like, there's no doubt about that. But too many times in life we say, oh, it's, it's hard. I mean, I know it's the right thing to do, but it's, it's hard. That's going to cost me something. I'm going to have to stretch because of that. It's sacrificial. It's not all about me. I, just, I'm just, I don't know if I'm really interested in that. So what are those? What are those hard things in your life that you know right now? You know they're the right thing to do. But because it's hard, you said no. Or because it's hard, you started, but then you, you quit. You stopped and never saw it through to the end. Here's what, here's what God says. I love this in verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. So some people were saying, don't worry about the Lord's house right now. Don't worry about God's temple. And I love how God, listen to how God describes them. These people say, he doesn't say my people. All throughout Scripture, when God is talking about the people of Israel or God's people, he says, my people. But right here, he says, these people. Do you want to know in my family how I know when my kids have had a bad day and are misbehaving? When my wife calls me up and she said, you won't believe what your kids did today. And I hear that and I'm like, well, no, wait a minute now. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking back to when we had those and you were there. When, when, we, when we had those kids, and this is, these are not my kids, these are our kids. So what do you mean when you say your kids? What do you say my kids? These are our kids, but she'll say your kids. When they're bad, when they're disobedient, when they're tearing stuff up, she'll call me. She'll say, your kids did this today. God's looking down at Haggai, and he's like, I don't know these kids. Like, these ain't my people. Man, my people would listen to me. My people would obey me. My people would honor me. They, whose people are these? These people. Haggai, are these your people? They're not my people. These are your people. These people, some other people. God communicates that clearly. He says, now listen, my people would have given. My people would have served. My people would have put me as a priority. My people would have rebuilt the temple. So these are not my people. These People are walking around saying, there's, there's nothing to do. We can't do this. Let's not do this. It's, it's too hard. These must be your people, Haggai, because they are, they are definitely not mine. And these people, Scripture says, are communicating something very clearly. You want to know what it is? 
God, you're just really not that important to me. And by our actions, sometimes we can communicate that. Now, as a Christian and as a disciple of Jesus, like, I would never even think about verbalizing that out loud. Like, I would never say, you know what, God, I just don't care about you. I don't care about you. You don't mean anything to me. I don't like you. You're not a priority of mine. I would never say that out loud. But with these people, their actions yelled a very loud message that, God, we just don't care. We don't care who you are. We don't care what you've done for us. We don't care what you've called us to do. See, our actions communicate something very loudly. They communicate our priorities even sometimes louder than the words that we say. So when it got time to prioritize God, instead of getting together and rebuilding the temple so that the presence of God could be with the people of God, they just said, you know what, God? I got bigger things to do. I got more important things to do in my time. I got better things to do with my money, God. You're just not that big of a deal in my life. And the actions communicated that clearly. Times got hard, the the calendar got packed, the money got tight, and they were like, ooh, God, sorry, sorry, man. I'm I'm just going to have to focus on other things. I'm just going to have to do other and give to other and spend other. And God, you're you're just not that big of a deal to me. In verse 3, this is God's response. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, this preacher that he had sent to these people. And he says this, Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? God's like, I got got something I want to share with you guys, and it's a quick question. Is it okay for you to be living in your paneled houses. Now, when we hear paneled houses, just think this, houses of luxury, houses that have all the amenities in it. Like, they, they, these, were, these were nice houses. And so God says, it's just, it's just occurred to me that the majority of you guys are living in nice houses. You have a house, don't you? You're living in a house, but, but my house is still in ruins. Like, how, how do those two things work? How, how do you put those things together? And I want you to understand something here. God is not against paneled houses, okay? <laughs> like You're not like, oh, man, I think my house has panels in it. Like, I have a house. I have a home. It's got nice stuff. i got a big TV in there and beds for everyone. Like, I've got a nice house. God is not against nice stuff. God is not against big houses. God is not against nice TVs. Here's the problem. He says, how do you live in those paneled houses while my house is in ruins. God is not against stuff. He's not against money. He's not against nice things. Here's the problem. When those things become more important than God. He said, I don't care if you live in a nice house, but don't do that while my house is in ruins. Because here's what you're communicating. I am more important than God. My stuff is more important than what God's called me to do. If I've got limited time and energy and and money, then I want to spend it on me first. And then, God, if I don't have any left over, sorry. God says, is it really right for you to live in your paneled houses while this house is still ruined? And he asks them in verse 5. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. That's something we don't really spend time doing in our day. This is what God says. Hold up. Just think about this for a minute. That, that's what give careful thought to you. Like, like just, just, just hit the pause button just for a minute. Man, I know you got a busy life. 
I know you have a routine. I know you, you do the same things day in and day out, and you got a job, and you got a family, and all that, and like it's just, it's just mass chaos. But listen, like just, just pause, just for a second. Like let's just think this through. Like just, just, just stop for a moment and think this through. Listen to what he says. Verse 6, you have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. I read that and thought, man, is, is this 2018? <laughs> because I meet people that feel that way all the time. They say, you know, I go to work every day, and there's no meaning in that. Like, I get a promotion or I get a raise. I'm still not happy. Like, you know, you know, I eat breakfast every morning. You know what happens at lunch? I got to eat again. I'm still hungry. I got to wake up every day and have something to drink. I got to have that coffee every day. I drink it every day. And you know what? By the afternoon, I got to have another because it wasn't enough. It was never good enough. Man, the, the phrase that, that sticks out to me is like, you make money and then you put it in a purse that has holes in the bottom of it. Man, think about the last time you got paid. Think about a week later when you pulled up your online bank account and you were like, where the heck did that money go? <laughs> like, where did it go? I mean, I know I got to pay bills and like I know I have stuff, but like does it just feel like you're just working paycheck to paycheck? Like does it just feel like I know, I, like I got my taxes back. I know I made some money last year, but I'm looking at my bank account and it is gone. <laughs> where did it go? Where is this? Man, what a practical verse. You want to think the Bible's not relevant for us today? God, this is the life that so many people live today. And here's, here's what God says. Think about it. Doesn't that sound familiar? Can anybody relate to that? Think of, like, hit the pause button, man. I know you're, you're so busy working and, and trying to make a dollar every day and spend your time every day, but like, consider your ways. Just stop and think about that. Does any of that sound familiar? In verse 7, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Second time he said this, give careful thought to your ways. Just think about it. Am I wrong? Hey, if I'm wrong, tell me. But does it feel like all the money you make just goes in a, in a, in a pocket that has a hole in the bottom of it, and it just goes in one end and out the other, and then you got no money, you don't know what, you don't know what happened? Man, does it feel like your life is on a cycle where you're just doing the same things day in and day out, and you're not making any progress? Still in the same place with the same people, doing the same thing with the same problems? What's the deal? What, what, is, what is going on here? Second time, it's a pattern in our life. Here's what happens, man. We get so busy. We get so busy with our stuff. We get so busy with our schedule and with our friends and with our people and our obligations. Scripture says we never take a time to hit pause. So he, he said that twice in, in a matter of three verses. And in Scripture, you know that repetition means important. When's the last time you, you hit the pause button and thought, man, the stuff that I'm doing with my life, does it even matter? Like, am I even making a difference? The way I spend my money, is this, is this doing anything? Is this helping anyone? Is this making me closer to the man or the woman that I want to be and that God has called me to be. The way I'm spending my time, the people that I hang out with, is this helping me move forward? Am I, am I ever going to make any progress with it? Am I prioritizing the right things? 
Or am I putting something else as a priority? Man, when's the last time you looked at your time or your money, your, your schedule, your calendar, your commitments, the goals that you have for yourself, the people that you hang out with? When's the last time you just stopped? God just says, please, just consider it. Just think about it. Just evaluate it. Is this where you want to go? Is that how you want to live the rest of your life? Throwing money in a pocket that has a hole in the bottom of it? Like eating and drinking only to realize that hours later you have to eat and drink again. There's no satisfaction. There's no joy. There's no fulfillment. There's no meaning to any of that. Is that really how you want to live? Am I honoring God in the things that I'm doing day in and day out? And am I making a difference with the life that I have and the way that I'm spending it? God just says, like, please, just, just ask yourself. Just consider it. Because maybe the priorities are wrong. Maybe you're wasting all of this time and energy and effort on money on something that's not going to give you anything. No satisfaction or meaning at all. So it says, here's what I want you to do. Just gives us some basic instructions. Speaking to these people, verse 8, go up into the mountains Bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Three quick things. He says, here's what I want you to do. First of all is go up the mountain. And some of you, right, right, right then, you, you, you checked out. Like, oh, wait, it's go uphill? Uh-uh. <laughs> if it's easy, I'll do it. Like if God would have said, get in your car and drive downhill and get some stuff, I'm in. But can I remind you that sometimes the right thing is the hard thing? And sometimes being obedient to God means you're going to have to sacrifice and you're going to have to go uphill. It's not just going to be a downhill coast anymore. Again, we've conditioned ourselves. If it's hard, don't do it. And the, the first thing, like we, we get fired up about the word and we're like, oh, this is, this is what it means to be a disciple. This is what it means to be a godly man or a woman. Yes, I'm in. Show me what to do, God. I'm yours. I'm open. I want to be obedient. And God says, okay, number one, walk uphill. And we're like, uh-uh, I don't have the shoes for that. I don't want to walk up. I've been walking uphill a long time. I don't want to do that. You're just, oh, you lost me at uphill, right? God says, go uphill, up the mountain, bring down wood, and build my house. God here helps them to start to reprioritize their life. He's like, from this point, instead of doing what you can do to benefit yourself, why don't we do something different? Why don't you go up the hill you get the wood and bring it down and build my house. Get the priorities in place. Like, understand what God has called you to do and focus on those things. And I like this about this. This is, this is good for some people and bad for some people. Because here God gives us three easy, simple steps. Now, God doesn't give us the whole blueprint. God doesn't say, now the temple itself is going to be four stories and a lot of columns, but on the inside I want it to be painted this color, and, and, and it's going to take approximately three and a half months to do it. Like Sometimes when we ask God things, we want all the details. We want the whole plan. Like We want to see it through to the end before we even get started. But here God just says, would you just do me a favor and just take one step today? I'm not asking you to build the whole temple in one day. I'm not asking you to, for, to turn your whole life around in one day. Can you just please just go up the mountain? Just take one step. Just I, I know there's some places that you can move forward. This morning, would you just be able to commit to one simple step? Not all the steps, not all the details. Don't have to worry about that. 
God just says, I'm just going to give you a few things. Man, would you just be obedient and take some simple steps? It's so simple, but yet it's so profound. Oftentimes, the things that God calls us to do are not difficult. They're not detailed. They're not overwhelming. They're not these things where we're like, ah, I'm not real sure of the Greek word and the meaning behind that. And it's like, I'm not real clear on what God's called me to do. No, they're simple steps. They're not easy, but they're simple steps that God has called us to do. Don't overcomplicate it. God just says, go up the mountain, get the wood, come back down, and build the house. It's not rocket science. Go up the hill, get the wood, bring it down, and build the house. The the main areas that God has called us to, to live a life of obedience and prioritize Him, are not complicated. Like if we'll just sit there and be like, God, what have you caught? What are the essentials? What are the small things? What are the ways that I can prioritize you every single day? Here's the thing. Actions illustrate our priorities. That's why God told them, go up the hill, get the wood, bring it down, and build the house. Because for, for a long time, the people have been saying, yeah, one day we need to rebuild the house. One day we need to make the church great again. One day we need to build the building up two, three stories. Like, let's just make it awesome all over. And for a long time, the people have been talking with no action. And God says, that changes. Today, take a step. Go up the mountain, get the wood, come down, and build the house. A simple step. And those actions are going to communicate what our priorities are are actually going to do. For years they've been talking, and maybe for a long time you've been making promises to God. Oh yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go there. I'm going I'm to serve here. I'm going to get plugged into a group. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to meet a need. I'm going to share my faith. I'm going to invite somebody. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm, I'm going to let my life be about more than just me. And we've talked and talked and talked and talked. And God finally calls the people out. He says, now do something. Get to work. Stop talking and get to work. Take a step. The great philosopher, Toby Keith, one time said, I need a little less talk and a lot more action. God is having a moment where he's like, you've been saying you're going to rebuild this thing for a long time. Get to work. Take a step. Now, I'm not asking you to talk about it anymore. Take a step. Do something. Go up the hill, get the wood, bring it down, build the house. Those are the simple instructions that God gives. Here's another way to look at it, though. The things that God is asking these people to do, the majority of them are already doing it. Remember, they live in paneled houses. That means that they went up the mountain and cut the wood and brought it down and built their house out of it already. Maybe the whole idea of prioritizing God in your life is not about doing something different, Maybe God is calling you to do the same thing that you've always done, but to do it for someone different. Because they've been doing the same thing for themselves. And now God says, remember that time you went up the hill, you got the wood, you brought it down and built your house? I want you to do the same thing, except I don't want you to go up the hill, get the wood, bring it down, and build my house. Do the same thing every day, but do it for God. Go to work every day, do it for God. Same job, you don't need a new job. Go home to your family, love them, serve them every day, but instead of doing it for anything else, do it for God. Do it for the honor and the glory of God. See, that's that's what God's asking us to do. It's not reinventing our entire lives. He's like, what would it look like for you to begin to live your life but prioritize God? 
instead of prioritizing anything else. Do those things, and Scripture says that God will be pleased and honored. Man, as a follower of Jesus, I don't, I don't know what else that we would want to do instead of live our lives to bring honor and glory to God. Now, here's where it gets sticky. Last, last few verses. <laughs> this is tough. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. You went to work, you made some money, you brought it home, you tried hard, you studied hard, you, you took risks, you went out and, and did things with your life, and then when you came home, you realized it, it blew away, it was gone, there's nothing, there's nothing to show for it. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I call for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Did that verse just say that God will allow you to experience hardships? On purpose? Did that verse just say that God would actually allow you to work your tail off and then to come home and realize that it was all for nothing and you still don't have any money to show for it? Like that He would allow things to happen in your life personally, like bad things, that God would just. Let that happen? That seems like one of the most sinister and cruel things that God could do. Why would he do that? Why would God let you fail? Why would God let your business go under? Why would God allow you to struggle financially? Like, Why would God allow things to happen in your life that are painful, that, that hurt, that, that cause discomfort in our life? Scripture says, God admits it here. He says, I did that. I allowed that to happen. You want to know whose fault it is? You, you want to know how that happened? It was me. I'll let you struggle. I'll let you fail. I'll let you fall flat on your face right in front of everybody. I let you pray and try to do the right things and, and all of that in your mind, and, and I let it go under anyway. So let me explain what, what that really means. Would God allow us to, to fall on purpose? Would God allow us to struggle on purpose? Because God makes it very clear here. Um, part of it is because in our lives we have free will. God allows us to make choices. God allows us to do things, even when they're wrong. Even when they're against what he's called us to do, God will allow you and I to put a priority on other things in our life other than him. And here's what he does in his love, I would argue, in his love and grace and mercy. He will allow your choices to play out to the very end. He says, you want to walk down that road? I'll let you walk. And not only will I let you walk, I will let you walk the whole way. Because here's what you're going to realize. You're going to get to the end, and you're going to realize it's a dead end with no hope. 
and I'm going to let you have your free will, and if you want to prioritize other things than work and stress and be all about that life, whatever life you want, and then eventually it's going to reach the end, and you're going to realize you've got nothing, that everything you've been chasing has left you empty, that all the hard work is for nothing, that it was gone. He said, here's why that happened, because you prioritize something else other than God. And the reason why I say that's one of the most loving things that God can do is that if we walk down that road in our life personally long enough, it will cost us everything. Like we will never turn to God. We will never accept the gospel message. We will never repent of our sins. And so God loves us so much that he will allow everything that is temporary to fail in hopes that he will get our attention for the eternal. He will allow you to be empty so that maybe you will see the only thing that brings fulfillment. He will allow you to experience pain so that maybe you will turn to the one that offers relief. He will allow you to chase that job or chase that money or chase that person and fall flat on your face in failure only to look back and see the God that is loving and kind and ready to give you a second chance. And at the moment of failure, you don't have a God that's pointing his finger at you and saying, I told you not to. You have a God that looks and say, now, it's time for a second chance. This time, let's do it my way. You know where this leads. You know the pain, you know the suffering, you know the lack of fulfillment and the lack of purpose. You went the whole way chasing what you wanted to do. Now, let's start over. Now, let's rebuild together. Now, let's make the priorities right. And a God of love and a God of second chances welcomes you back with open arms. And that's exactly what he does here with these people. He says, man, you've struggled, you've hurt, you've been in pain. And now you realize why. And now that the truth has been laid out in front of you, now you got a choice. You can either keep running down that road or you can choose God. You can, keep it, you can keep chasing it, keep looking for some kind of fulfillment and purpose, or you can look at the purpose that is laid out right in front of you. How about a second chance? How about a time to rebuild? How about a time to prioritize God. Why is that? Because our actions illustrate our priorities. And you got a chance right now to make a decision through your actions to make God number one in your life and to prioritize him over everything else.